Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello folks, you're listening to the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Patreon. I am Nathan Fisher and we are so glad to have you for our debut edition of the Monday Night Rewind. Well, AW NXT go head-to-head on Wednesdays. We thought we'd look back on the original war between WWE and WCW. And joining me in this, what's going to be a, a mammoth epic tale that will take so long. <laughs> we brought him back from down south. It's a true cult of personality. It's Chris Murray. Chris, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so happy we're doing this because, right, lots of new wrestling about just now. Lots of new promotions, new shows. And I'm like hang on a minute, you're forgetting about all the old great stuff. And Nathan, I swear to God, since day one, when I met you, when we covered, I think, ICW or maybe WCW all those years ago, I was like, me and him get on. So this is the perfect show for me. Got the perfect host and yourself. Couldn't be more excited. Some housekeeping, first of all. Um, obviously, if you listen to this, you've already subscribed to our Patreon. Lots of content there. Ross is doing his retro reviews. Steven's doing the reviews of Raw. The two Ryans, the one version of the two Ronnies, are doing the reviews of SmackDown. <laughs> Sarah and Scott are doing their East meets West, where they look at Japanese wrestling. If you haven't done so already, obviously we're on social media, all over social media. We are Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on Facebook, at Suplex Retweet on Twitter and Instagram. And we're also on YouTube, Suplex Retweet as well. And McLucas doing some great stuff over there. So, Chris, are you ready? What what is firing to the night show for the 4th of September 1995? Yes, the day it all began. They all began. UK number one single this time, Michael Jackson, You Are Not Alone. Oh, wow. There you go. Number one film, Die Hard with a Vengeance. And with a Vengeance, Ted Turner was coming steamrolling into Monday night's take on Vince McMahon. We are live from the Mall of America, which Eric Bischoff calls the only building big enough to hold the debut edition of WCW Monday Night Go. <laughs> in regards to WCW Night Go itself, where did you first hear about both the company and the show? Did you watch this at the time? or No, not even a little bit. Like I had to properly dive into the internet to figure out how I know what WCW even is. First of all, I remember my dad bought me three WCW videos from a charity shop. They were sold out, Spring Stampede and Bash of the Beach 1998, which was like prime WCW content. And also, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember that WCW Worldwide used to be on Channel 5? I think it was. Yes, that was my gateway into the product. This is the thing. I remember it was on, I think it was Friday nights. You had Robot Wars, you had Fort Boyard, and you had a terrible WCW program. <laughs> Actual Nitro, I don't think I heard of Nitro until I was like big. I'd never watched a clip of it until about, I'd say, five, six years ago. Yeah, we mentioned worldwide there. Me and Ross were talking about on his show that Channel 4 had Sunday Night Heat, which was shown after like Football Italia. Mentioned there, Worldwide was shown around the same time as Robot Wars. It was brilliant times back then, brilliant TV. Absolutely brilliant. For me as well, I suppose a gateway for myself for the dice was actually the old video games on N64. I'm still a pretty keen gamer now, but especially back then, you had WCW versus NWO World Tour, WCW, NWO Revenge after that, which is still one of my favourite games of all time. Yeah, those are brilliant, brilliant games. And actually, come and think of it, that is a big reason that I get into it as well. I remember having 
one of the WCW games as well as actually one of the ECW games. And honestly, I, I wouldn't have known who half of the wrestlers were if it wasn't for those games. Do you know what I also realised about Nitro that I wanted to bring up to you? I was talking to somebody recently about it and they were like, why do you watch this? It's like, it's from 1995. All these guys are like, half of them are dead and half of them can't even move anymore. Do you know what I like about Nitro? Is that it's mm-hmm. it's finite. So I looked it up. There was 288 episodes of Nitro produced, right? Between what, 1995 and 2001. Now, yeah. if you take that in the terms of like a television series, that's less than a lot of shows that a lot of people will have watched start to finish. It's less than Family Guy. It's less than Grey's Anatomy, which my girlfriend watches to death. It's about the same as The Big Bang Theory and American Dad. So it's like, it's just like this, it's like getting into an old TV show, only it's with wrestling. If you if you sat down and went, oh, I'm going to watch Raw and I'm going to watch it from the start, you're not going to make it before you die. It's like trying to say, I'm going to start watching Coronation Street from the beginning. You're just never <laughs> going to do it. You're never going to do it. So uh, that's what I like about it. It's like it's just that moment in time, sheer brilliance and madness all thrown in together. So you mentioned that was uh, when Monday Night Raw recently did their season premiere on USA. There was a kayfabe news article saying, man, binge watch his entire back catalogue of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> it was such insanity. So yeah, fly from Mall of America. Did you know that this wasn't actually the original location and that they were thinking of for the debut Nitro? They were thinking about New York. They had a big press conference there and everything. But obviously due to Madison Square Garden being exclusive to WWF at the time, and this was 95, so there wasn't a substitute arena available. You had to go for something unique, and which was what well, I think is the biggest mall in America at the time. I did not know that at all. To be honest, I think they might have won out on the decision that they made because I've, this is top of my notes for this show is that Mall of America, what a venue. There's probably yeah. not that many people there. It's much like Madison Square Garden in that sense that like it's got a really small capacity, but it just looks fantastic. You've got four floors which are just packed. Every escalator, every lift in the, the sort of surrounding areas to the actual ring is all rammed. It looks amazing. Yes, yeah, exactly what I as well. Such a unique setting. Yeah, great camera work as well. Obviously, there was no Monday Night Raw this week because of the US Open tennis at the time, so Nitro's going unopposed in its debut. But just watching Raw's from the Sierra, you know, Nitro looks so much brighter, looks so much more vibrant. Yeah, some great, great production here. I've got to also mention, this is the first time that fans ever saw what's now looked upon as an amazing opening sequence for Nitro. You've got the iconic theme, you've got everything going on fire, blowing up. Oh, I love it so, so much. Oh. It's such an iconic intro. I love everything about it. Like the the music that they use, you've got the wrestlers screaming, you've got all the big power moves, you've got the street lights exploding and stuff like that. Do you know what I liked about it? The fact that it didn't look like a wrestling thing. It like yeah. had wrestlers in it, but it didn't look like a wrestling production. I think that's what made it cool. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm just just a bit of trivia. Uh, the Roman sequence was actually designed by a guy called Pat McNeely, and the themes by Jonathan Elias. Funny you mentioned about the whole TV aspect. That was part of Bischoff's vision for WCW take away from the southern style wrestling company, so to speak, and turn into more a TV oriented, a TV friendly product. Yeah, I mean, Eric Bischoff is probably the genius behind the Monday Night Wars, isn't he? Isn't he? Like, he changed the whole concept of like wrestling television production, and I am very thankful he did. <laughs> Bischoff, obviously, on commentary here with Bobby Heenan and making his debut, Steve Mongo McMichael. Yay! Yes, woohoo. <laughs> now, uh, right, I'm going to throw this out to you because I'm 100% sure you will not agree with me. 
I actually like Mongo on commentary. I think he's absolutely ridiculous. He's the epitome of wrestling commentary at the time. Like Bobby Heenan is, without doubt, he's like the best wrestling color commentator of all time. But Mongo just adds something. I'm not even sure if he does add something. I just really like listening to him. <laughs> First person I've ever heard say that about. <laughs> so yeah, go to match one. Jushin Thunder Liger versus Flying Brian. These two obviously have a pretty story rivalry. I've only actually seen one of their previous matches. That was a match at Super Bowl two, three years prior to this. So what about yourself, Chris? Have you seen any of their previous matchups? I'd never seen a previous match until just before the show. I watched the Super Brawl two match that you mentioned. So yeah. it was for the WCW light heavyweight title, which I yeah. can't find any other mention of basically outside of this match. And do you know what is worth your time as well? That match actually just got added to WWE's YouTube channel last month. So it's worth going away and watching it even before you watch this one. But the difference already is is so, so clear. Even in the difference in like production, the crowd are more interested in this one. It's got a faster pacing. It's just like in three years, you can see the difference in these two wrestlers and in the company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just a completely different, almost a completely different company just going by the look of the product. The music they use for Liger in this one on Nitro, very generic compared to his legendary team that he has now. It was like jobber music. <laughs> it's like yeah. just such typical sounds that you hear. Literally, it was like generic WCW number one. Match starts off, obviously, exchanged some wrist locks before Pillman gets onto the turnbuckle. Spinning heel kick from Liger into the turnbuckle where he works over Brian's chest. It's like we get a moonsault from Liger onto a standing playing Brian. He also gets worked over in the corner. First big spot is when Pillman jumps out of the way, reverses into a hurricane runner from Liger. And then there's also a top rope hurricane runner from Brian to count. At this point, the reason why I've been noticing this was a, a point here was a cool shot of people stand on the escalator, which is going down and up as they're watching the show. That was really cool. Yeah, I thought that was really cool as well. Although, I was like, what happens when you get to the bottom? Do you just go on the up one and just keep looping round? <laughs> I was thinking about it loads. <laughs> There's a rolling sent on from Liger to Pillman on the outside. At this point, he's a huge USA chance. Bishop at this point, he plays into the influx of international talent coming to WCW. And he, he plays on this quite a lot during the episode. Something obviously sets apart WCW from WF at this time. Liger suplex on the outside. It's a flying crossbody by Pillman to Liger outside for the first top ropes, but we've seen. And then there's a top rope vertical suplex from Liger for the two count. There's a crossbody from Liger, which gets met by a mid-air dropkick from Pillman. Bischoff says a dropkick usually an offensive maneuver, but this time used defensively by Pillman. I just I don't know, I just thought it was really, really cool to hear that from him. We don't usually associate that sort of stuff from Bischoff. Bischoff on commentary the whole night I thought was so, so good. Just like, even in the sense of like opening wrestling fans' eyes to what you were watching, like stuff like what you just said, like you would never, you would never think, you'd be like, oh yeah, of course he did, it's good. Yeah, I think modern fans probably more associate him with his role in, that he had in TNA and I suppose prior to that as a GM of Raw. Really good in Conti. I thought I was pretty impressed by him, actually. But he's probably the best of the three the whole night. You get a powerbomb from Liger for another two count. And it's like two count City after that. There's a top rope Frankensteiner from Liger again. It's another close two count. And then an attempted German suplex from Liger gets reversed into a row up from Pillman for the three count. Pillman wins just like he did in their match at Super Bowl II. I have to say this, I thought it was a fantastic opening match for Nitro. It's a brilliant debut match. Yeah, absolutely loved it. The finish, once again... Liger was his own undoing. In 1992, he missed the splash off the top rope. Pillman, roll up, one, two, three. In 1995, he gets the German reverse into roll up, one, two, three. Both times, Liger let himself down. And yeah, that you mentioned earlier, 
both great matches, but I thought this one, I just think this one's a bit better purely because of the production standpoint, I think. I mean, obviously, a few years prior, they're more athletic. Yeah, I just thought this one edges it, I think. Even stuff like, they had the, not famous, but something that I always notice about WCW is their famous corner cam, where they've got a cameraman who's literally standing just on the other side of the turnbuckle in the corner. So he's got a camera, like, basically in the ring watching the action. And, um, yeah, just the the pacing, even the guys just working together so much better than they did three years before. It was this brilliant, like, hot opener. Do you know what it reminded me of? And this is the most ridiculous comparison. I'll be the only person that compares these two matches in wrestling history. But it reminded me of the opening match of Feed and Loathing 12 ICW this year. It was a bit like Kenny versus uh, your Irish ace man. What's his name again? Oh, John Devlin. Yeah, it reminded me of that, where they just had two guys that just to, like, you know, bring the curtain up and just get people up and excited. And they, actually, WCW did it one step better than ICW in the sense that they had two faces, effectively. So there was no point where the crowd were, like, particularly booing. As you mentioned, there was a bit of USA chance, so there was a slight sort of Pillman over Liger edge. But, like, overall, it was just, like, two guys going at each other start to finish really crazy hot cruiserweight lucha match so different to anything else on wcw and on wwf at the time yeah and i think it's a fair comparison and you mentioned about some that we've not seen like some completely different to what wwf has been on it's certainly a topic we'll be going back to over the course of this series if we go to a stein promo first promo we have of the night He's facing Ric Flair later for the united states heavyweight title he says no one can lock in the scorpion death a lot better than yours truly I like this because, well, Nathan, do you think we should swear on this show? Yeah, go for it. As soon as I saw this promo, I was like, holy fuck, they're doing Sting versus Flair tonight. And obviously, I've heard so many times about how the last Nitro and the first Nitro both had Sting versus Flair. But I think just because it was like, it was in the moment and it was happening, I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. And it was such a meaningless promo. It was like a current day WWE promo. It was like, say your move, get in, get out, but... They, Sting absolutely had me. When I watched WCW from like, the Worldwide Days and Channel 5 99, Sting obviously looked very different to what he does in this episode, but he was still one of, he was one of my favourites and said he's one of the top guys in the company, just tell by his great guys himself. Yeah, but, totally. Like, this part here, Hogan at Pasta Mania, jeez. <laughs> Pasta Mania. <laughs> So now he's facing Big Bubba Rogers in the main event, but I tried to do some research on past the media, just skimmed over some stuff. <laughs> Such a disaster. So is this like a is this like a real is this a real restaurant? Yeah, I think the marquee branch, if you will, was in the Mall of America. There's like this next one book I've been reading, I've only just started reading it called It's called Nitro by a guy called Guy Evans. Have you heard of it at all? I haven't, no. I've only read 50 or so pages of it so far, but it's really good. And he mentions that at that press conference in New York, the launch nitro that I was talking about earlier, Hogan did this thing where he was, he like paraphrases his, his own catchphrase, like, what's he going to do when WCW Monday Nitro for Wilder U? And it's an audience of like journalists and press representatives, and there's like barely an applause. He sees it again, and there's like a muttering. No one really cares. Hulkamania is kind of over, but he's branched. He branched into this sort of like food venture, and he's still a big name. Absolutely, and I'm sure we'll go on to talk about it in his match later. But just, just stuff like when he's saying like, "What are you going to do when Pasta Mania runs wild on you?" And I'm just like, "Really? Is this what we've come to?" But what I did appreciate about this was, I think it was um, was it Bischoff or Gene Okerlund that actually introduced the spot. They actually put him over like this huge sports star. They were like, Michael Jordan, he's got his re- restaurant. 
Don Shula, that's a huge American football manager slash head coach at the time. Don Shula, he's got his restaurant and now Hogan's got his restaurant. And they were like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, like Hogan, Michael Jordan, just names that come come together. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I know you're big into American football, so you've got to help me with the sports team references. There was another good one at the start, actually, which was very, very subtle. But I think I caught it when Bobby Heenan and and Mongo meet for the first time. I think Bobby Heenan says something like, oh, I loved you when you played for the Denver Broncos. Mongo having never played for the Denver Broncos. And Mongo really quickly retorts. He was like, oh, no, I think we played them on Monday night to keep it all associated with wrestling on Monday night. But so you now being an expert on Pastomania, I need your help. Can you please explain to me? what hulkaroos and hulkaroos are because i was watching this and i was like is this is it food or is it is it the fans i've no idea what these words mean yeah he says he's eating too many hulkaroos that he feels sorry for big Bubba. So I, don't, I don't know what he means there we go to rick flair versus sting the us heavyweight title huge pop for sting he's got his awesome man called sting theme man that's so underrated i actually had in the first line of my notes for this match i wanted to ask you if you had to pick one what would you have would you have don the uh, Ric Flair's theme, or would you have Man Called Sting? Oh, Man Called Sting. I agree. <laughs> because Man Called Sting has such excellent lyrics, it's so daft, but again, it's like so WCW. Oh yeah, some of the themes at this point just unbelievable. But what's this? A wild Lex Luger appears. Media Luger chance as well. The first true shots fired in the Monday Night War. Yeah, totally. There's, there's a tiny, tiny line which I thought was a little bit of a shot, but that was in the actual entrances for both the wrestlers. Mongol says, I think during Flair's entrance, he says, oh, we've got two icons here about to wrestle. And then he goes, if you're not tuned into this, you might as well be watching. And then he sort of chills off and Bischoff says, don't say it, as if to say, don't mention the other company. But it's like, it's sort of matter of fact. It's like, oh, well, if you're not watching us, try and watch some other wrestling as well. (laughs) But yes, this is, as you say, it's the, it's the first shot. Like Lex Luger, I'm sure everyone knows the story by now. He was part of the main event of SummerSlam on August 27th. I think this was like eight days before this show. And he actually wrestled on a WWF house show the night before Nitro, before hightailing it to Minneapolis for the Mall of America. Yes, I was about to mention that about the house show as well. Just unthinkable. Now they have to actually wait for contracts to run out. <laughs> you know, they can't just jump shit. It's interesting as well because I don't know how this Luger situation must have happened with his contract because the no-compete clause, that already existed at this point, I'm sure, because when Ric Flair went back to WCW after the WWF, he had a no-compete clause and that's why he had his talk show. It was to get him on TV without wrestling. So I'm not sure what happened. Lex Luger must have literally had a contract till the night before the first night of Nitro or, or something. I, I don't fully understand of it. Either way, it's absolutely insane that he basically wrestled for two different companies in two different nights. Yeah, that's a great point about the no-compete because I, I hadn't thought about that actually, but until you mentioned about Flair. match itself, though, got some typical booing from Flair, gets a response from Sting. A lot of guerrilla press slams in this match. Both wrestlers look so sprightly. They're doing all these like leapfrog, drop down, press slam sequences. And I was just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, because me player must have been about mid 40s at this point. He's still at the start anyway, he's still, you know, running the ropes at some speed. And he's announced as only an 11 time world champion at this point. You've still got what, five slash seven still to come, depending on what count you believe. 
Stein tries to go for a, a stinger splash at one point, but player evades. Back from commercial players on the top rope, but he gets press land again. Then another press land. Jesus Christ. At this point, and Anderson appears, and this guy just does not age. He looks the exact same today as he did back in 1995. Absolutely agreed. <laughs> Someone commented there was a, a full Ric Flair put on Instagram. There's a picture of him, Arn Luger, and Tully Blanchard wearing four horsemen jerseys. And someone commented, Arn Anderson has always looked like a dad. <laughs> it's much like Ric Flair. I'm like, was Ric Flair ever young? He just seemed to be at like the, you know, 40 to 50 age range. And like he's aged since, but he never seemed to be any younger than that. I know, yeah, he kind of didn't really age until 10 or so years ago and just kind of like, rapidly aged. One word evolution. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. You see Stein try a splash from the top rope, Flair rolls out the way, then a suplex from Flair. Stein, however, right back up. Now, I usually don't like when a wrestler does this whole hulking up thing, but for whatever reason, I've always liked it with Sting. I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, it works a lot better with Sting than it does with Hogan slash every indie wrestler today. Yeah, I know DCT used to do it a lot as well when he was nice and you just, nah, I think it worked for him. Yeah, and then the interesting thing is, so Flair goes for the figure four, Sting powers out of it and then Arn Anderson jumps into the ring and then without touching anyone the ref calls for the DQ and I really appreciate that it was like in WCW we don't take any shit like if you're in this ring end of the match obviously Flair and Arn feeding at this point they continue to brawl down towards the backstage area as we see a mystery man come down to the announcer's booth it's Scott Norton yes Scott Norton he has arrived and uh, I looked him up Scott Norton he was in New Japan Pro Wrestling from 1990 to 1993. He won the tag belts. He was quite a big sort of non-Japanese wrestler for New Japan. And uh, here he is coming to mainstream American television. Yeah, huge star in Japan, one of the top guidance there. First came across this, this guy during one of the video games, actually, WCW NWO Revenge, and he was an absolute monster. And yeah, obviously, you talk about it later on, obviously, it doesn't really reach that peak like in Japan, but yeah, he's some size, he could obviously be a top star. Yeah, it's worth your time if you can find it, but I once listened to Scott Norton on Colt Cabana's podcast. Did you know Scott Norton was like a world champion arm wrestler? Yes, I did hear that. Yeah, he was like <laughs> really fucking good. He basically, I think because he was wrestling, he couldn't compete there anymore or because he injured his arm or something like that. But even like, I wouldn't even mess with this guy now. I'm pretty sure he could still absolutely kick my head in. Yeah, I think I saw a photo of him. I think it might be in Cabana who posted a photo actually promoting that episode. Yeah, he's still some size now. Just, yeah, absolute beast of a man. So the next thing that happens is, is pretty cool. Scott Norton gets in the face of Mongo. And the first thing I thought was, Oh, is this the point where Mongo wrestles? Because I knew it happened at some point, but yeah. no, sad- sadly it wasn't to be. Yeah, it's actually Randy Savage, Macho Man. He wants a match right now with Norton, who's having some sort of contractual dispute with Bischoff. The crowd is going wild at this point. The crowd's going absolutely mental for Savage. Obviously, it's not the A's anymore. He's not the star that he was. But I think because he didn't compete for a long time towards the end of his WDF run, where he jumped ship to WCW, it was as if he was a new wrestler, sort of, if that makes sense. He was kind of coming back. So he gained a new fan base. Oh, absolutely. I would actually say myself included. Like, I've watched Golden Era, Hulk Hogan era, era where Savage was wrestling. I've actually missed all of the point where he was on commentary because I just I didn't watch wrestling then. I think I was about three or four years old. And now, having now seen these bits where Savage is back in the ring and he's like literally not missed a beat and it's just absolutely fantastic I wish I'd been a fan of WCW when 
Randy Savage came in because he had a pretty good first year. He started out by, um, he basically backed up Hogan and some of his matches were the faces of fear. And then he spent most of 1995 up until this point feuding with Ric Flair. And I think a lot of people have said on, if you look, look back at like the buy rates and stuff like that, the feud that they had with Randy Savage and Flair was actually one of the biggest draws of WCW. Um, I think around about just before the NWO kicked off. So the main thing I took from this whole segment is I was like, we're half an hour into the show. We've seen Hogan. We've seen Flair. We've seen Sting. We've seen Savage. To a lesser extent, we've also got people like Scott Norton, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, Pillman. The place is absolutely overflowing with big names. Yeah, it's superb. The roster that they have. We've got the older established guys, like you mentioned, Savage, Flair, Sting, and the great old now we have between Pillman and Liger. And we've got a new person making his debut next week, a new star, which Bishop calls a quote-unquote great athlete. It's Sabu in WCW. <laughs> I had to laugh at this because, I mean, I think that's probably bottom and second bottom of the list of words you would use to describe Sabu. Great and athlete. I know two things about this. One thing, did you notice that the song they used for the Sabu promo was an excellent Nirvana knockoff? Oh, yeah. They, I don't know what it was. I think they must have had the back catalog, or sorry, TNT must have had the back catalog, whatever. A lot of knockoff themes used for the guys during this time. Of course, we will go on, I'm sure, to talk more about Nirvana's use as a rip-off song in WCW, cough, DDP, cough. The other thing I noted, which I thought you would appreciate, in this little video package to promote the introduction of Sabu, did you see that it included a table botch? Yeah. <laughs> he does like a springboard moonsault off the, the corner or something like that, hits the guy who's on the table you can't really see, and then quite clearly in the promo package just casually slides off him with the table intact. The classic Sabu spot. I mean, if you're bringing him in, you have to advertise the stuff he was most well known for. Absolutely, I love how the clips one were just him doing various moves, like the same guy, and like what well, was obviously like a, a dark match that was that was obviously filmed just for the purposes of this. But yeah, it would have been even better if like the clips were like in the Mall of America from like a dark match earlier in the night or something like that. That would have been fantastic. It's Mall of America. Some actually forgot to mention at the start of the show just the whole setup from Mall of America. I've got to be thinking, how good would a show be at Brayhead? Not the arena, the shopping centre. I was going to say, because the first wrestling show I ever went to was in the Brayhead Arena, but the yeah. actual shopping centre would be fantastic. You could put the ring and the ice rink. Is the ice rink still there? I've not been to Brayhead in about 10 years. Yeah, is that not the same as the arena, the ice rink? No, no, the arena's like out the back somewhere. It's a pretty decent sized venue. I don't know, there was, that, there was a ice rink within the, the actual centre as well. I thought the arena was, obviously they've got the, the Glasgow clan play. I thought that was like what you're referring to now. Oh, no, no, no. So, apologies. The arena does ice hockey and stuff like that. You know where the food court is in Brayhead? We're going way off topic here, but we have to cover this. It's vitally important. But where the food court is, there's like a balcony, and there used to be like a circular ice rink downstairs from that. I'm guessing it's not there anymore? No, I was I was thinking more. There's, they've got an atrium in the middle, the staircases going up the left. Perfect. It's almost exactly the same as the design of the Mall of America. Exactly. Yeah, perfect. Book that. Someone phone Mark Dallas. Yeah, so needs to get Dallas on the phone and get that sorted out, absolutely. So we go to Gene Oakland, who's in the ring for the Harley Davidson sweepstakes. The one has been announced. A Mike Hill from it's Calamon, Alabama, for them to make. That's what you call a sweepstake prize, not this ESSR title that people go on about. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what, right? Obviously, this point of the show was meaningless. 
But this Harley-Davidson competition, this was almost the only promotion of Nitro happening on WCW programming. You know, up until like the, the week before it was actually going to take place, before that, there was no mention. All anybody had said on actual WCW programming, um, you know, stuff like Pro and WCW Saturday Night, all, the, all they'd mentioned up to that point was, oh, we're giving away a Harley-Davidson and it's going to be on the first Nitro Make sure you watch. This was almost exclusively what they denounced. Other than that, it was just like, oh, also Hogan will be there. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, we've talked a lot about WWE's past, actually. I forgot to mention that at the start of the episode. Way back in the summer of 2018, in our main podcast feed, we actually did a show on the history of WCW itself. If you're listening and you want more background on WCW before Nitro, then certainly check that out on the main feed. Going back to Nitro, we'll do a plug for the coming WCW Saturday night. Where Johnny B-Bad will take on Dirty Dick Slater. Does it? Sting and Randy Savage will take on the Blue Bloods. Some team that Sting and Savage, jeez. And there'll it's... be an update on the Dice W Fall Brawl War Games. Yes, 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 Nathan. Oh my God. I literally wrote this down. I was like, first mention of War Games. This is it. We're about to hit some prime WCW content. Because I don't know about you, I'm a huge fan of old War Games. Not so much a fan of new war games like the WWE war games or the NXT one to be more specific. I loved the old war games because the cage had a roof on it. It was absolutely yeah. brutal. Was guys getting dropped on their heads and stuff like that. You could only end the match if like someone was bleeding or you could only end the match by submission and stuff like that. And uh, as soon as we get into Nitro, there's a war games right around the corner. I couldn't have been more excited. It's funny you mention that a lot of people have asked whether we're going to be covering the pay-per-views as well. If we were to do that for every pay-per-view from the WF and WCW from this period, A, it would take fucking ages. <laughs> he would actually cross over into Ross's timeline where he's doing the WWE pay-per-view, sorry, from 2000 to 2009. So what I was going to do was I was going to do like some pay-per-views. The important ones, obviously, like Bash the Beach 96, Starcade 97, WrestleMania 14, ones like that. But since you just gushed about War Games concept there, I think we'll cover WCW Fall Brawl 95. Yes! Best news of the show so far. Glad you liked it. Just on the spot. Didn't know you liked it so much, so we'll go for it. Another thing that I noted from this um, tiny promo, I was like, oh yeah, uh, WCW Saturday Night, I forgot that existed. How long did that run for? Oh my God, I looked up the years. This show started three different companies ago in 1971, ran through, I think it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, then... Mm -hmm to Jim Crockett, and then I think it was uh, champ. Uh, well, WWF owned it for a wee bit. It went to Championship Wrestling from Georgia. It went back to what became WCW and ran until 2000. 1971 to 2000. What a ridiculous length of time for a wrestling show. It's even longer than Raw. Exactly. It's well, yeah, yeah, it is. It totally is, isn't it? But um, Raw, Raw will no doubt get there. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, sadly, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> you cut to another promo. This time it's Michael Wall Street. Former IRS, the WWF. He mocks the WWF new generation, call it the few generation. Yeah, I like this one-liner. The new generation is nothing more than the few generation. Taking shots, like, that, that's what you got to do. Yeah, he's the greatest wrestlers on WCW as well. To be honest, he's, he's probably not wrong, to be honest. At this point, at this exact point in 1995, he's absolutely not wrong. As we go into the main event, it's big Bubba Rogers versus Hulk Hogan. Right, so Nathan, it's time for round two of Music versus Music. This is a cross-promotional one. I'd like to ask you, you have to listen to one song for the rest of your life. Do you have WWF's Real American or do you have WCW's American Made? 
we American, 100%. Some of my favourite teams. It is fantastic. I think I was leaning towards American Made because I think American Made hits harder when it starts, but Real American's absolutely iconic. So I think it does win overall. I don't, I don't know what it is. It just, I think it's more towards the end of Real American's a bit of, a bit of synth in there as well, which I think just edges it for me, I think. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, Rogers comes out wearing a suit. Jeez, not expecting that. Not only a suit, but it's actually a full suit. He's got the shoes. He's got the trousers. He's got braces on. We certainly make an effort. I'll give him that. We go to a commercial break, so and then it's back on commercial for Hulk's entrance. Surprisingly big pop from the crowd, I thought. Especially when, considering what I said earlier, the star was kind of fading from the wrestling world. The crowd, surprisingly, still might just be because it's a more of America crowd, but still very pro-Hogan. Well, I wanted to ask you this. Do you think there's in any way a bit of recency bias with regards to Hogan? Because I think, right, so this was 1995. Hulkamania started, what, 87, is it? So it's like long in the tooth by this point. But do you think that because we talk about this so much, it's like, oh, Hogan's star was fading. Do you think there's a chance it just maybe hadn't faded? Because obviously Hogan won the belt pretty much as soon as he got to WCW. And the fans seem to like it. So I think maybe maybe his star wasn't as faded as we thought. That's certainly what I thought when he came out here. I was like, wow, he's really, really popular here. Supposing mainstream audiences, like the casual audiences, I mean, so he's probably still seen as like the most famous wrestler in the world. But I think as we go further in the Nitro, I mean, I guess the arenas, especially in the southern towns, which are more traditional WWE-based, I think that's when you'll see the crowd turn against them. That's interesting. It's almost like they have to do something with his character to make him more appealing to the audiences. I wonder what will happen next. I wonder. I wonder what's going to happen. Maybe add another colour, maybe a black or a white. We have to stop. We're giving away too many spoilers. Spoiler alert, yeah. One thing I want to say is that, Jesus Christ, Hogan looks so small compared to his heyday. First thing I noticed there. Yeah, so he does the full entrance and he does the whole shirt rip and all that and I'm just like, wow. See, because he was so big before, he actually looks skinny here and also because he's quite a tall guy as well, it really doesn't help his whole frame that like he's maybe like 50% of the muscle mass that he was when he was banging all the steroids, allegedly. He looks crazy different. Yeah, without those roids, he's certainly just... I think he looks ridiculous. There's some Hogan poses to start off the match and then we go to Headlock City from Bubba. Long Headlock here. Shoulder block from Hogan sends Bubba to the floor. Huge Hogan chance here as well. Probably bigger than his entrance, actually. Real big chance at Hogan. But we go to a test of strength. Bubba works on Hogan's midsection in the corner. Hogan sends Bubba into the turnbuckle pad. Works over Bubba some more. But we get two successive big boots to Bubba from Hogan. At this point, towards the hard camera, there's two young men in the crowd. And they hold up signs. One saying, Hogan sucks. And the other saying, Hogan is a wimp. So certainly, for, for the kids and the families... Who are at the show? They're probably the ones chanting for Hogan. I didn't notice that. Amongst the uh, fifteen to twenty, you're beginning to see the descent towards Hogan. They've, they've seen this in the eighties. They want to see something new. I did not notice that. I only noticed one sign, and it was the one that was on the hard cam conveniently that just said, "Where the big boys play WCW." And I was like, "Are you sh- are you sure you brought that sign from home? Did the man give you that when you came in here?" <laughs> Shortly after this point, something I noticed as well is that Bubba goes after Jimmy Hart. Hogan makes a save, puts Bubba back in the ring, but with Jimmy Hart's jacket, he's, he covers Bubba's face with it and starts punching Bubba where the ref's not looking. That's a heel move. Yes, the first thing I noticed about this match is like there's a lot of Hulk Hogan heel move in this. It was strange. It was strange. I wonder if at this point they were doing any experimentation for what was to come. Yeah, maybe. 
maybe just testing the waters there perhaps there's a move that i wanted to mention actually i don't know if you noticed this bubba does the batista thumbs down it was like yeah. a mental one-handed rib breaker to hogan i was like wow where did where did bubba pull that from You've timed this perfectly, actually, because I think it was at this point where Mongo calls this. He goes to Keenan and says, Bobby, do you not think this is the greatest wrestling match on television? (laughs) (laughs) This is why I hate him. (laughs) But, I mean, Bobby Heenan, have to give him special credit for this match. Since day one in WWF, he's always just been anti-Hogan, and he keeps it up here. He's all the way through, he's screaming. I could only compare it to, like, it was like a, a boxing manager like a corner guy he's screaming at him stay on him Bubba stay on him it's absolutely fantastic there was also a really cool subtle reference I don't know if you caught this but Eric Bischoff says this is a man who spent a lot of time in Minneapolis which is a subtle reference of course to the fact that Hogan spent I think about two three years in the AWA which was based in Minneapolis that's a great spot so I didn't notice that that's brilliant that could explain the unexpected face pop that Hogan gets. Yeah, I did not even think of that, actually. did not even think of that. That's, that's such a good point. Yeah, he was, he was huge in the AW. He's almost, he, I don't think Ben Gagne obviously didn't want him to be champion, but like you say, he was like the top, top star there for WF, so it's, that's a great spot. At this point, we see Bubba charging at the corner, but nobody's home. There's a big side slam, though, from Bubba later on for two count, and then we get Hogan hulking up. Yeah, I literally wrote down, Hulk up, big boot. Big leg, pin, celebrate, done. Yeah, pretty much the same, actually. I've just got standard Hogan match. It was a pretty standard Hogan pair, this, wasn't it? Right, here's a question for you. So we have both had the pleasure of watching a Hogan match, like, in real time. Like, we've watched a Hogan match that, you know, it's not from, like, 1995, but you've maybe seen one in 2001, from 2001. Do you remember the last time you watched one of these, like, Hulk Cups and you were like, oh, my God, yes! Are you talking about WCW? No, just like, because obviously he had his run back in uh, WWF slash WWE oh, and the early 2000s as well. Do you ever, do you remember one where you were like, oh my God, that was amazing? Yeah, Rocket, uh, against the Rocket of WrestleMania, definitely. Love that. That was the iconic one. There's also one that like, I'd maybe throw in, even though I'll get absolutely torn apart for it, but there's a match in TNA where Sting is going up against, it might be Aces and Eights, or, 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 or I can't remember, you know that mad like Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff empire that they built for a while, and Hogan yeah. like face turns to join with Sting, and they both become good guys, and like Hogan hulks up in that, and he's about 75 years old in it, but that was probably like the last, last, last time a proper was like, yes, Hogan! I missed a lot of Hogan's TNA run. General consensus from what I've heard, I'm kind of glad I did. Yes. Agreed. Shortly after the match, the Dungeon of Doom, Jesus Christ, they come down. We've got Taskmaster, Zodiac, Kamala, and the Shark all come down the ring. Hogan, of course, fights them off. Well, Lex Luger appears once again, comes to the ring, does the same. Yeah, back in each other, almost start fighting each other. And you've got a big face off between Luger and Hogan. Fun fact about this one, actually, in this Nitro book that I've been reading, I didn't listen until I was reading it a couple of days ago. There's a bit in this, in this segment where it cuts the commercial break. Apparently, during the commercial, Luger broke character. Apparently he started laughing. Apparently Hogan went absolutely mental at him saying, what the fuck are you doing? Sit there still before the curtain call where KP was still like kind of forced. Went absolutely mental at Luger. Do you know what? I would I would like let him off if he was like, you know, flying Brian. But Luger's like been in the game 
for a while at this point. He's been on TV. He's been the WCW champion. Like, what the hell is he doing? I know. I can't believe I'm ready. Just the more I read about Lugar, I really, really don't like him. <laughs> See, I tried to sort of contextualize this whole scene, like the post-match scene, and I was actually like. I'm here for this. So Luger's just finished up his push to the main event in the WWF. It obviously didn't really work out, but his push to the main event came because Hogan left. And then I was like, oh my God, this is the one thing that they, they never really did. They never got to do Luger versus Hogan because it, it was such different eras. I was like, is this, and again, you will laugh, is this the Rock and Hogan of its time? No, I think that's a good point. Actually, they literally tried to make Luger Hulk Hogan and WF, then they, they had him, you know, the American hero, the Lex Express. So, yeah, this, this is the match that I think Vince would have loved to have in WF. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, again, this will make you laugh, but I think this might be Luger's best promo. He just says he's here for Hogan's belt. Hogan is the biggest wrestler in the world, which makes him the only world champion. Boom. Yes. Absolutely excellent. And then he yep. goes, I've been down the same roads as you. I've beaten the same people as you. I'm sick and tired of playing with kids, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get my shot. And if you pass over that third sentence and the slight connotations, I was like, yeah, yeah, boom, I'm I, I'm with you. He's totally right. He should get his shot. It's possibly better than all of Luger's American Hero WWF promos. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially the fact he wasn't the only world champion. That was an excellent, excellent point, Brian. And then just like that, holy shit, the title match is literally on for next week. It reminded me of when TNA were doing their weekly pay-per-views and they were obviously trying to shift as much pay-per-view buys as often as possible and they'd literally be like, right, title match next week and then we'll have this title match the next week. Oh, cool. I don't need to wait six weeks to get a match that I want to watch. Yeah, and I mean, that's the key, isn't it? Just trying to leave the fans wanting more, make them tune in next week. What better way to do that? A title match where they'll be up against the first time Monday Night Raw. I am very, very excited. I think that this week when WWF wasn't on, I think that's, if you take out like, you know that weird week between like Christmas and New Year, I think this is genuinely the last time Raw missed a week. It was 1995 and Bischoff yeah. obviously made the brilliant decision. It's like, cool, that's the night we're going to launch Nitro. And it just runs absolutely perfectly. Do you want to talk about the little closing segment that they do? Yeah, go for it. This is a recurring theme as we'll go to notice about Nitros, that every show doesn't end on like the face going mental in the ring or the heel standing to booze in the ring. It always seems to end on like a little clip of the commentators. It's almost like they're like, what a show we've just had. And I was like, it's like they're trying to do, they're making it like a sport. They're trying to do what they do. Like after an NFL game in the US, they'll have a half hour post game show. Or after a football game, even here in the UK, they'll go back to, you know, Gary Lineker or whatever. And he'll do a run through of the card as well. They did this. They were trying to make it like a proper sport. And there was all these little great bits about it. Like Eric Bischoff runs down the card for next week. You've got the title match. I think he says that Sabu's going to be there. You've got the Savage and Norton match. And then just... I didn't know where else to put this in my notes, but I've got it here. Mongo is holding a dog and it's dressed like a devil. <laughs> I don't know where that dog came from. I'm pretty sure he didn't have that before. Did someone give him just hand that from the crowd? He, or? he did not have that dog at the start of the show. Yes, you are correct. But one thing <laughs> I will point out now, and this is a tiny spoiler, that dog will be a recurring character on this TV show for about two years. Jeez, it's not such an ugly dog as well. 
So yeah, just first Nitro in the bag, more of America in Minneapolis. You notice yourself, we got a 2.5 rating in the Nielsen ratings there, unopposed, which I think equates to around 2 million viewers. Which is absolutely huge. Like Even if you look at it in the context of Nitros for the rest of 1995, this is pretty much bang average or right up there for like as good as they did in this period of time. I have to ask you, like, what did you think of the show as a whole? Like, first Nitro, even if you try and compare this against first Raw, I think that's probably the only comparison you can make. Like, what what did you think of the whole thing? I thought it was fantastic. The Liger filming was a fantastic opening match. We know that these two can go. They certainly continued that trend in the match they had tonight. Claire Stein, it was just for the Luger reveal. Still not obtaining a match to this job. Main event, I'm not a fan of Hogan, this whole Hulkamania base, so it's really, I was never going to like it, but it is what it is. You've got the title match set up for next week. But overall, I thought it was a really good show. You mentioned the first draw there, but back in 93, it was certainly better than the first draw. If I was a WCW fan watching this back in 1995, or just even a wrestling fan, I would be really excited about watching the film. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I thought the whole show was absolutely wild. I thought the pacing was insane. Like, you can see yeah. yourself, there's a, there's a bit where we jump from the end of Flair versus Sting, and then Arn's in the ring, and then he's out the ring, and then we jump to Scott Norton, and then Savage is there, and then we've got a Sabu promo, and then Mean Gene's selling motorbikes, and it's just like, it's, everything's just in your face, on top of each other all the time. This was the total precursor of what was to come in the proper, proper Attitude Era in a couple of years. I think that if I was watching this as a... So I would have been six years old when this aired, or maybe five years old. Like, if I was, like, five years old, if I was, like, ten, I would be so into this. I was thinking, I wanted to ask you this. Mm. I don't think I would have cared that much that, obviously, there was such a generation gap as was the line at the time. There was such a generation gap between the stars of WCW and the stars of the WWF. Like, my favourite guys in the WWF when I started watching it were, like, the Hardys, Too Cool, The Rock. These are all quite young guys. But I think if I was watching WCW at the time, I would be so into this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing about this is that the best is yet to come. And it's gonna just going to get even better before it gets worse. But the good times are coming. Exactly. And for the opening week... Because it ran unopposed, WCW wins in the ratings war. Unopposed, fantastic, well done. I, I had to actually look it up because I was like, I wonder, I wonder. Because I was like, what did the US Open do that night? And according to like the internet, which can only be trusted like 50% of the time, the US Open that night in place of Raw only did a 2.2. So WCW actually beat its competition. I'm actually glad you like that because I forgot to. And that's pretty really interesting, actually. But we've got no idea what it was up against. It could have been against the, you know, first round qualifier, the women's mixed, no, women's mixed doubles doesn't make sense. The women's doubles, something like <laughs> that. Something that, like, you know, three people watched in their house. Who knows? Either way, it will go down in history that WCW beat them. <laughs> yeah, so good start for Nitro, certainly. And next time on the Monday Night Rewind, it's the first head-to-head. We'll be looking at the Monday Night Raw and Monday Night Raw from the 11th of September, 1995. Chris, I really enjoyed that. Your knowledge is always excellent. Fantastic to have you on. Will you be joining us next time? Hell yes. I am absolutely here for this. The best thing is, is like, see from this period of Monday Night Raw, I've seen none of it. Like, I started watching Raw 
in about 2003. And I'm not one of these people who's gone back and watched the Attitude Era or even before, which we're about to watch. I'm so excited. I've got no idea what's coming. I don't even know who's the champion at this point. I don't know who any of the belt holders are, even the top stars. I just know that it's going to be excellent to watch them going up against each other. It was a blind leading the blind because I'm certainly in the same boat, which in my opinion make it even more enjoyable. Thanks for coming on, Chris. And for Chris, I'm Nathan Fisher. Thank you for listening. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, at Suplex Retweet, or on Facebook, it's Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Uh, check out what else is on our Patreon. We've got retro reviews from Ross. We've got raw reviews from Stephen, uh, Smackdown reviews from Ryan and Ryan. So yeah, tune in again for the Monday Night Rewind. Thank you. <laughs>